0: Hello Moms, this is Holly McLean, the Mommy Answer Lady, and today we're going to be talking about some of the common mistakes parents make and learning how to discern parental advice, even from the experts. Are they always right? We'll find out today. Well ladies, this is the first podcast that I'm doing after the Five Basics. Um, that I hope that you have listened to before this. If you haven't, I want to suggest that you do take a little bit of time and go back and listen to those first five podcasts um, that explain the parental mindset. The five aspects of that are you are in charge. Every decision you make should be in their best interest, so sacrifice. What you allow in moderation, they may do to excess. Have a mind for parental maturity and building a relationship of trust. Those five things are very important, so I hope you'll take the time to listen to those first five podcasts. The other thing that I want you to know if you haven't listened to those is the three things every child should know. Every child should know that you love them, that you know what is best for them, and that you will use your authority to make sure what's best for them is done. These three things every child should know in order for you to be the most effective parent. So today we're going to talk about discerning good and bad parental advice and we're going to go over a few common mistakes parents make. There is an article on my website called themommyanswerlady.com and it is called 23 Common Mistakes Parents Make. I'm not going to go through all 23 today but we may touch on some of them. One of the ones that I really want to touch on though is when people take the advice of experts. I'm not saying that every expert is not giving good advice, but I have been amazed at the amount of bad advice I have found on the internet. And it's not just from moms or people uh, out there trying to give advice. It is from clinics, it is from child psychologists. Some of their advice is very disturbing and I know it is not really helping the issue. So I wanted to address those things today. I know there are some people who believe that whenever they have a problem of any kind, they want to find an expert who is going to give them the answers that they need to know. But I want to suggest that you think about it this way. If you needed heart surgery, would you be more inclined to go to a heart surgeon who had been doing surgeries for decades or a person who studied how to do heart surgery but never performed it? or even had only done it once or twice? Or if you needed your toilet fixed, would you go to a person who had studied plumbing and had a degree in it, but had never actually installed a toilet, or had maybe done it once or twice? Or would you go to someone who had done it for decades and does it every day? Of course, in either of these scenarios, you're going to want to go to someone who's done it for decades and has done it well, and you have evidence that they've done it well, right? Well, this is one of the common mistakes parents make in my view. They blindly look at the experts in child psychology for answers without any guidelines to discern good advice from bad advice. They assume that because a person has gone to school and has a degree in child psychology, they're going to know the answers. And they take what they have to say as gospel truth. I'm going to tell you I believe this is a common mistake, and I'm going to tell you why. I have a list of ways you can discern good versus bad parental advice, so I'm going to go over that with you. If the advice is bad, it does the following. It puts the child in charge. It avoids the problem. It treats the problem as unimportant. It puts feelings above truths. It allows the continuation of bad behavior. It doesn't address the future. And it distracts rather than addresses the issue. So if the advice is good, it does the following. It makes clear you are in charge. It addresses the problem. It treats the problem as important. It puts truths ahead of feelings. It stops the bad behavior. It addresses the future. It doesn't distract from the issue. So I want to tell you how I came up with those different uh, ways to discern. It was because I decided to go online and look at the advice that was being given for things such as toddler tantrums. This is one of the main problems moms have that cause them to be frazzled, is children having temper tantrums or screaming. And so I wanted to see what is the advice online about that. I was so amazed. I'm telling you, I was amazed because it wasn't just moms and other people. Like I said, it was experts saying these things. And some of them I think you are going to yourself go, what? Is that an expert saying that? It was. So here's some of the things that I looked up this first one was how do you stop your toddler from screaming now i'm not going to tell you what, who wrote these or where they're from because i don't want to get into a dispute with anyone i don't i'm not trying to put anyone down i just want to address the issues here the first one was what you can do about it okay about a toddler screaming number one run errands on her schedule It's not always possible to work around your toddler, but whenever you can, make sure she's well-rested and fed before you leave the house. Now, there's one good thing about that and one not so good thing about that. I do believe that it's wise to make sure your child is well-rested and fed before you go out. I just think that that's wise because obviously it's going to make things easier generally. So it is good to run it on her schedule, but really it's not her schedule. That's putting her in charge. It's your schedule. You have made the schedule for your day and you make sure that in your schedule, you've taken care of your child because you're putting their interests ahead of your own, right? And so in your schedule for the day, you've made sure that you're not taking them out or your children out right in the middle of nap time or right in the middle of lunchtime or whatever, obviously. So that advice isn't really what's wrong. The next one is, this is amazing. This one was like, I thought this was just a joke, but it isn't. How do you stop your toddler from screaming? Stick to noisy restaurants. That was the next piece of advice. Obviously, that is just like amazing to me that that is a piece of advice. And again, this is from some of the experts. Now, what's wrong with sticking to noisy restaurants? It avoids the problem. It treats the problem as unimportant, in my view. It allows the continuation of bad behavior. It doesn't address the future. It's just a piece of bad advice. The next one is, ask her to use an indoor voice. That's the next piece of advice on how do you stop your toddler from screaming. I think it is not that you ask her to use an indoor voice. You require her to use an indoor voice. Again, you are in charge. You're not asking her if she will comply. You're telling her to comply. The next piece was make a game of it. Now, these are all on one thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, I'm going to go through. Four, make a game out of it. So that is treating the problem, the behavior as unimportant. Number five, acknowledge her feelings. This is putting feelings ahead of truths. I'm not saying you don't acknowledge her feelings in your own mind, but her feelings at that moment don't matter. I know that that sounds really mean, but it's not. Think about this for a moment. Her feelings don't matter because her behavior overrides what her feelings are. Now, you might need to address her feelings at some point, but not while she's behaving badly. While she's behaving badly, her behavior needs to be addressed, not her feelings. Number six keep him occupied. It's interesting for one, two, three and four and five, it was all her and then number six was him. I'm not sure why that is, (laughs) but it was keep him occupied. So that part was distracting. It was your keeping him distracted so he doesn't behave badly. It isn't addressing the problem and it isn't addressing the future. So you can see why this seems really disturbing to me that this is the expert advice on how to stop your toddler from screaming. Here's another one. How to discipline a screaming two-year-old child. Number one through six. One, look for a safe place. Put her in a safe place. Once she starts screaming, look around. I'm not sure what that means by a safe place. I'm not sure what look around means. Number two, stay calm, remain calm. That I agree with. Number three, validate her feelings and it says it twice validate her feelings validate her feelings no i i don't agree with that again it's not feelings that matter when your child's behaving badly it is the behavior that matters you address the behavior later you can talk about the feelings but not while the behavior's happening number 4 hug tightly hug him tightly it says twice hug tightly hug him tightly tightly no that is giving a good response, a positive response to a bad behavior. You don't give positive responses to bad behavior. Number five, talk it out. Talk to him after he's stopped screaming. Well, in some circumstances, I would agree with that. And in other circumstances, I would disagree with that. Um, one of the circumstances I agree with that is, if after he stopped screaming, he wasn't aware of the problem other than the screaming part. If if he didn't understand what he had done wrong other than screaming, because he's going to understand the screaming was wrong, then you need to address and talk to him about that issue. But if you've already talked to him about it in the past, this is something we'll talk about on another podcast, by the way. But if you've already talked to him about it in the past, there's no reason to have another conversation with him. He already knows. And we'll talk about that on another, on another podcast. Uh, number six, give punishment. Give her a punishment if you feel it's appropriate. Well, that's true. Although if we're talking about the putting the hand over the mouth when they're screaming, which is what I'm telling you to do. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want to ask you to listen to podcast number two, Be the Mom, How to Take Charge. It explains all of it for you in that one um but if you feel it's appropriate generally you won't have to do that after this generally you won't have to do anything else other than cover the mouth and and go through that process that's explained on that podcast um sometimes the punishment would be that they don't get something that they were going to get if they had behaved themselves but generally you won't have to do that okay so you can understand why i'm looking at these and thinking oh my goodness this is not good advice Here's another set of seven things. It's called avoiding tantrums was the um, title here. And there's seven things. One, give plenty of positive attention. Well, I agree that you should be doing that anyway. That doesn't have anything to do with tantrums. When they're having a tantrum, they don't get positive attention at that point. So, but generally you should be giving positive attention anyway. So that's not such bad advice. Uh, so avoiding them means before they have had tantrums. That's true. I would have to go along with that. Number two, try to give toddlers some control over little things. I would agree with that as well. Not because you're trying to avoid tantrums, but because that's how you should treat your child anyway. Number three, keep off-limits objects out of the sight and out of reach. I completely disagree with this. Keep off-limits objects out of sight and out of reach. Completely disagree. The reason I disagree is because that is distracting. That is avoiding what you're wanting your child to have their attention on things that they shouldn't touch rather than having them learn that when those things are there, they don't touch them. I believe you put everything out like you normally would other than something that might be really dangerous. Of course, we don't want to do that. But because you don't want that mistake that you, they might make to cause them harm. But um, other things you should be putting out that you don't want them to touch just like you would anything else. They need to learn that when you say no, they don't touch it. You don't take it away from them. Uh, number four, distract your child. Well, that is right there in one of the reasons, one of the things that I said was bad advice. It distracts. You don't distract your child. You address the issue. Number five, help kids learn new skills and succeed. Totally agree with that. Yes, you want your children to learn new skills and succeed. Absolutely true. But I don't think that has anything to do with tantrums. The tantrums are a separate issue. I don't think that is avoiding tantrums. A child who has a new skill and succeeds is not going to avoid tantrums if they learn that tantrums get them what they want. It doesn't have anything to do with whether they succeed or not. Number six, consider the request carefully when your child wants something. Well, I guess I would agree with that, but not because I want to avoid a tantrum. I'm going to consider the request carefully anyway. I'm not going to make a decision based upon whether they're going to give a tantrum or not. Again, this is putting your child in charge. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to think about it. My goodness, are they going to have a tantrum if I don't give them what they want? And therefore, I'm going to make my decision based on that. No, you make your decision based on what's best for the child and what's best in the circumstances, not on whether you're afraid that they are going to have a tantrum or not. Okay, so that should have nothing to do with avoiding tantrums. Number seven, know your child's limits. Well, I'm not sure what that means, except that I'm thinking that when you think your child is almost losing it, then you want to stop what you're doing. I would kind of agree with that to a certain extent. You do want to make sure that you're in tune with what's going on with your child, of course. But again, you don't make your decisions based on whether they're going to have a tantrum or not. They should not have a tantrum no matter what's going on, because that is just bad behavior. So you shouldn't make your decisions based upon that. And I know that a lot of moms, I know some of you, even listening, you do that and, and you do it because you just want so much to have peace and you want so much not to be overwhelmed and you don't wanna struggle anymore. And you think, my goodness, if I just give them what they want right now, or if I just go along with what's going on with them, it either, even if it's not what's best for the circumstances, it'll avoid this tantrum and I don't wanna deal with that right now. I completely understand how you feel. I really, really do. But I want to make you think about this. Instead of making decisions based upon that, instead, make your decisions upon what's best for you and best for the child now and in the future. So believe me, if you don't know what to do when your child is having a tantrum, listen to my podcast, Be the Mom, How to Take Charge. You can do it. You can. And you don't have to worry about them having tantrums anymore. So now I'm going to talk about something that is probably going to be rather controversial, especially among those who might go along with the child psychology thing. I have to tell you, I read this and I was really taken aback. I had heard of it before, and I'm sure some of you have heard of it. It's called ODD, Oppositional Defiance Disorder. I read this and I was thinking what a bad situation it is that child psychologists are telling parents that this is a disorder. It made me really sad inside. And I want to tell you what, some of you parents who are listening to this maybe have been told your child has ODD. I'm thinking to myself, as I'm saying this right now, there's going to be people who are going to listen to this and are going to be so angry and they're going to put their fist on the table about it. And they're going to say, this woman doesn't know what she's talking about. They're going to say, she doesn't have a degree and she doesn't know anything about this and you shouldn't listen to her. Well, you can take their advice if you want to, or you can take mine. I want you to listen to what I have to say, and then you can throw it out in the trash if you want to, but I want you to listen to what I have to say. Oppositional defiance disorder is not a disorder. It's not a disease. Here is what it is. It says on the internet about oppositional defiance disorder. It is common. More than 200,000 US cases per year. Treatment can help, but this condition can't be cured. It is chronic and can last for years or be lifelong. It requires a medical diagnosis. Lab tests or imaging are not required. The cause of oppositional defiant disorder is unknown, but likely involves a combination of genetic and environmental factors. Symptoms generally begin before a child is eight years old. They include irritable mood, argumentative, and defiant behavior, aggression, and vindictiveness that lasts more than six months and cause significant problems at home or school. Treatment involves individual and family therapy. Moms, this is not a disorder that a child has. This is a parenting problem, and I'm not saying that because I want to put down a parent. When your child is behaving with those symptoms, it is because they haven't been trained and there's a lot of other issues going on that are causing them to behave this way, and it isn't a disorder. When a disorder is diagnosed or a disease is diagnosed, it is giving an excuse for a child to behave that way. You understand what I mean by that? When your child behaves in an irritable mood, is argumentative, is defiant, is aggressive, is vindictive, it can always be chalked up to the idea that they have oppositional defiant disorder. Treatment can help What that means is, well, you can do some things to help the situation, but your child has a disorder. This makes me so sad. This is one of those things like saying that there isn't boys and there isn't girls. There isn't gender. There isn't males and there isn't females. There is males and there is females. There are boys and there are girls. They have different distinctives about them. And this being called a disorder makes parents feel like there's nothing they can really do except treat the disorder. And what the problem is, isn't a child with a disorder. It's a parent who doesn't know what to do. That is the problem. And that can be fixed. But it isn't the child that needs to be fixed. It's the parenting situation that needs to be fixed. And that doesn't mean that everybody who has an ODD child is a bad parent. Sometimes they just don't know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, how can you do it, right? I'm hoping that by putting out these podcasts and having my website, that I can help parents who really need it. And if you're listening to this podcast, if you're reading those articles, you are not a bad parent. You are a parent who just needs some information. It doesn't make you bad. It makes you have a lack of information. And when you get that information and you apply it, you can change the situation. At the end of each podcast, I say, you can do this. I really believe that. You can do this. The reason that I'm giving this particular podcast or talking about this, these things is because I don't want you as a parent, to be stuck with those, quote, experts advice, especially something like this, ODD. I do not believe in ODD. Again, ODD is not a child with a disorder. It is a child who needs a different kind of parenting. So on this podcast, I've talked about several common mistakes parents make One of the main ones is just listening to experts without any guidelines about how they're going to discern good from bad advice. And then I've talked about the several of the different kinds of advice that give parents the wrong ideas so they make more mistakes. But again, like I said before, I believe I told you there's 23 common mistakes parents make. That's on my website mommyanswerlady.com. You can read that if you'd like. I will also be going through those in a future podcast, um, here and there, possibly not all 23 at once, but here and there I will be. Well, at the end of the podcast here, I did say that I was going to answer a question. So here is the question. My child keeps throwing food and utensils from their high chair when they don't like the food. What should I do? Well, here's what you should do. When your child throws food or utensils, go right over to them, look them straight in the eye, put your eyebrows down, say, no throwing in a very low tone, and then go and pick up the things that they have thrown and put them back in front of them. If they throw it again, then flick the back of their hand flick the back of their hand just a little bit. It doesn't even have to hurt. It's just going to be the idea of shocking them. Flick the back of their hand, look at them again, eyebrows down and say, no throwing. They will likely scream and cry at that moment because they will be very upset that you did that to the back of their hand. That's okay. Go back over, pick the thing up, whatever it is that they threw, put it back in front of them. Again, look at them and say, no throwing. Then walk away and continue what you're doing. If they are a strong-willed child, they will probably throw it again, and then you go do the same exact thing, except you flick their hand a little harder the second time, and then a little harder the third time, but you do it every time. You look at them in the eye, you put your eyebrows down, say no throwing, flick them in the hand, and put it back in front of them every time. They will stop. If you do it consistently, they will stop doing that. So that's what you do, and it will work. Okay, so I'm going to end the podcast now. If you have any questions for me, please be sure to send them in to me at themommyanswerlady.com. You can get a hold of me that way. You can email me at holly at mommyanswerlady.com. You can also find me on Facebook. And I have these podcasts on YouTube. They should be on Google Play, iTunes, uh, TuneIn, Spotify, um, any of those. And I think there's others too that they are. So if you uh, want to share this, that would be awesome. I would really appreciate it. I want to help as many moms as I possibly can. So please share and let other people know. And do definitely contact me. I'd love to hear from you. So for now, I'll let you go. Until the next podcast, remember moms, you can do this.